church 30 minutes early how are you going to ever show up when somebody's depending upon you you see all these things run together every single day of your life is meant to be training ground for what God wants to do and I believe that what God wants to do in all of us is he is inviting us to be part of the resistance and that resistance is not I'm going to live my life that everyone would serve me but I'm going to become the servant of all Resistance is futile. You've probably heard this before, even if you're not a Star Trek fan. Basically, it means you're going to lose, so why even bother trying to fight? But today, Pastor Daniel explains that the Bible tells you something different. You'll learn that resisting your self-focused tendencies is essential to being able to serve. You have to push back against your pride and selfishness so that you can join God in the work He's doing all around you. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in Isaiah chapter 58 as he continues his message, Fasting as Resistance. And you just realize that it's like, how can you say you love the Lord? You just love to make someone hurt. Even if that's the way you were raised. I mean, I used to be able to I used to justify it. Like, that's just the way I was raised. I mean, like, if you love someone, you give them a hard time until they cry. <laughs> I know it sounds sick, but it was like, that's like how it was. I remember we got married. My wife, Lynn, is such an amazing woman. And I remember, like, we would go to, my, to see my family and my dad would give Lynn the hardest time about every, It didn't even matter what it was. And I remember, like, after, like, one of these times, we get in the car, she's like, your dad does not like me at all. I mean, he just always give me a hard time. I'm like, no, 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 that means he likes you. I'm like, you know that other guy who was there? You notice my dad didn't say a word to him, didn't give him a hard time at all? I'm like, yeah, because my dad doesn't like him at all, you know? And she's like, that's really weird. And what I didn't realize is that my wife is the smartest person I've ever met as well, because she's right. It's totally weird. So you give a hard time to the people you really care about and the people you don't like you're nice to? It's kind of sick, isn't it? See, this is why you guys need to pray for me more. You know, it's like you just realize, like, this is... But the strife and debate. See, how can we say that we're really religious? How can we not pretend that we're playing religion when we do all this religious stuff like not eat for a whole day and while we're doing it, we're exploiting people. We have debate and we have strife. See, what goes on is that it's real easy to do all this religious outward stuff and really have your heart be all wrong. And that was, what was, see, that's what Isaiah's getting at here. Now, what's interesting is from there, you know, look at the, how verse five ends. Would you call this a fast and an acceptable day to the Lord? Like, is this like an act of worship? See, Jesus gets at the same thing in Luke chapter 18, verses nine to 14. It says this. Also, he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus to himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like the other men, 
extortioners, unjust adulterers, and even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector standing afar off would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. You see this? So you have these two men. See, Jesus is trying to get at people who trusted in themselves and judged other people, who trusted in what they were doing, right? This tax collector said, oh, Lord, I am thank you that I'm a Pharisee. I'm not like these other people. I'm not extortioners. I'm not unjust. I fast twice a week. I give my tithes. I'm so religious. Oh, this tax collector over here. Thank you, I'm not like him. And the tax collector, overcome with an awareness of who he truly is, wouldn't even look up. Like, the Pharisee is like, you owe me, God. And the tax collector's like, Lord, just be merciful to me. I'm a broken man. She said, which one of these guys goes away justified? Not the Pharisee, but the guy who is really aware of who he is. Brothers and sisters, there's a lot of playing religion in the church of Jesus Christ. Let's just be honest about it. There's a lot of, we just play, like, let's like, we love Jesus and we trust in, well, I've been going to, I've been going to Crossroads for 25 years and, you know, my blood and sweat's all over this campus and I've given, I've been on mission trips. Listen, that's great. None of it makes God owe you anything. And I'm not saying we shouldn't do these things, but the other side of this is, is that sometimes we can rest in that and we can harbor exploitation in our heart and in our actions. We can be full of strife and debate, right? We can do all these things for the Lord and still despise people who Jesus wants to save. I mean, isn't this the testimony of the people of God in 21st century America? Now, I realize, see, this is why I love, this is why I love the Bible. Because I realize I would do better off if I just told all of you guys, just keep being how you are. You know what I mean? Like most churches are wired that way. Just, you know, this generation, older and younger, they don't challenge them. They don't want to be challenged. Just affirm them. Tell them, you're great. You know, you're wonderful. But you know, it's funny. The Bible never tells us to act that way. Now, I'm not coming. Listen, I'm living this too. I got the word pastor before my name. So it's real easy to play pastor. It's real easy to be like, oh, so holy and so contrite and humble. You know, it's like, they don't give you a course on that in school for pastoring. And even if they did, I didn't go to that school anyway. You know? But the idea is we don't want to play religion. We don't play that stuff. Because what it does is it undercuts the gospel. See, look at what goes on from here. Now, from verses 6 to the end, you have all of these if-then statements. If this happens, then this happens. If this happens, look what it says in verse six. It says, is this not the fast that I have chosen to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free and that you break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and that you bring to your house the poor who are cast out when you see the naked that you cover him and not hide yourself from your own flesh? Then your light, shall break forth like the morning. Your healing shall spring forth speedily and your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call, the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he will say, here I am. 
the middle of verse 9, if you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger, and speaking wickedness, if you extend your soul to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted soul, then your light shall dawn in the darkness, and your darkness shall be as the noonday. The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your soul in drought and strengthen your bones. You shall be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Those from among you shall build the old waste places. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations and you shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. Wow. Now are those, I read two of the three if-then statements. Isn't it powerful? See, what we learn is we look at the if statements. What we learn is that justice is God's language. The language of God is the language of justice. How do I know? Look at the ifs. First, is this not the fast I've chosen? Verse six, to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free, and that you break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry? And that you bring to your house the poor who are cast out when you see the naked that you cover them and not hide yourself from your own flesh? Going down the middle of verse nine, look at the other if statement. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger, the speaking wickedness, if you extend your soul to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted soul, all of this is justice. It's all, in every place, you see brokenness. You see systemic oppression. You insert yourself, and you begin to be a force for change. That is the fast that God wants for us. See, that's what fasting is designed to do. It's designed to help us identify with people who are on the margins because we are self-inflicting ourselves into the margins by not partaking in the things that we could be partaking in on purpose to grow. God wants all of us to fast from living your life just for yourself and you begin to live your life for God and for others and that is an act of resistance. You are living against what is the path of least resistance in the world that we live in, which is you just do whatever you want to do for yourself, however you want to do it. Your life is yours. And really what you have is everything is designed around you living a life that you want to live. But what you find is that we live in one of the most blessed, prosperous times in all of history. And most people feel a discontentment. You know why? Because if you are the center of your solar system, your solar system is lousy. You know why? Because you're not the center of anyone else's solar system. Every, see, our culture in our narcissism that is baked on into the way our culture works today, that says everything revolves around you. But guess what? You're the only one who thinks that. And the problem is, is everybody around you, because of our cultural narcissism. Now, I'm not just saying that because I'm a pastor. All you have to do is read all the philosophy and sociology of this generation. People want to blame the millennials. This is the boomers. It's the builders all the way through the folks who are coming after Generation Z after millennials. It's a culture that is steeped on. It's all about me and everything should revolve around me. But when everyone is the center of their own proverbial solar system and you don't have any planets orbiting around you, it is quite disconcerting. 
And many of you are feeling that right now. You can't understand why your marriage is unfulfilling or why your job is unfulfilling or why your kids are unfulfilling or all these things, why your retirement is unfulfilling. Why? Because it was never meant to be lived solely about you. But here's the thing. It's one thing to know that and it's another thing to say, I'm gonna step into the resistance against that. Because know what I've learned? We are all designed and recreated by Jesus through Jesus's finished work to be part of something bigger. But if we don't start taking small steps now, we will never find ourselves part of the bigger story. So long before you become a world changer, long before you become somebody who is a transformational agent in your community, you have to learn how to show up early and be a greeter at church. Because if you can't show up to church 30 minutes early, how are you going to ever show up when somebody's depending upon you? You see, all these things run together. Every single day of your life is meant to be training ground for what God wants to do. And I believe that what God wants to do in all of us is he is inviting us to be part of the resistance. And that resistance is not, I'm going to live my life that everyone would serve me, but I am going to become the servant of all. Because Jesus said the greatest in his kingdom is what? The servant of all. See, Isaiah 117 The very first prophecy in the book of Isaiah says this. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Rebuke the oppressor. Defend the fatherless. Plead for the widow. See, that's real, pure, and undefiled religion. All of us seeking to engage ourselves in being a part of the solution of this world, not part of the problem. And you see how challenging that is. See, the fast that God has chosen is us to learn how to be his hands and feet in the world. Listen to Proverbs 21, 15. It is a joy for the just to do justice, but destruction will come on the workers of iniquity. It is a joy for the just to do justice. And what goes on is that because there are so few avenues for us to be part of doing justice, we never learn the joy of it. But you know what I'll tell you? If you talk to the people who just came back from our Lebanon trip, if you talk to the people who are going to come back from our Browning, Montana trip, if you join in helping refugees through Crossroads, if you go and be part of the solution for the foster care crisis that we have in our community, if you go to Second Saturday, it's amazing how you devoting some hours and energy and resources of your life to helping others, you'll be shocked at how fulfilling it is. Our culture says, you just need to buy more stuff. You'll be more happy, get more stations on the television, you get faster internet access. You get yourself some anti-aging cream. You keep buying it, you keep getting older every single day. (laughs) Don't I know it, you know? Buy all this stuff, and guess what? You still feel dissatisfied, discontented inside. And then all of a sudden, you go out and you serve, and you're like, wow. And brothers and sisters, God wants all of us to walk in that. But notice, all those ifs. If you choose to step into this, look at all the then statements. Verse 8, then your light shall break forth like the morning. Your healing shall spring forth speedily and your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call 
and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he will say, here I am. Go down a little bit more. Middle of verse 10. Then your light shall dawn in the darkness and your darkness shall be as the noonday. I love that. Right? It's like your light will be as darkness. Right? It's powerful. Your light shall dawn in the darkness. And then it says, your darkness shall be like the day when the sun is at the height, uh, at zenith in the sky. Not only that, the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your soul even in drought. And you'll strengthen your bones. You should be like a well-watered garden. See, everything we want is when we abide in Jesus and we become part of the story that Jesus is writing and then everything that we really want, everything that we really desire, which is a true deep relationship with God, comes to pass. But the question is, will you respond to that? I mean, what's amazing is, is Isaiah shares this prophecy, the children of Israel, by and large, didn't really move. They still ended up going into Babylonian exile. By the time they came back from Babylon, there was a season of them walking, and then very quickly, they fall away. And by the time Jesus shows up, he says, will, when the Son of Man returns, will he even find faith on the earth? And listen, we're not responsible for everybody else. We are responsible for ourselves. Will you take a step of faith? Because what goes on, literally, you read the research about people leaving the church. Do you know why people leave the church? By and large, because they were never really a part of the church. Like, if you think that Crossroads exists to serve you, you completely miss the point of what church is. Listen, everybody is meant to give and to receive in church. People who are, there's all this research, people leaving the church. Really what's going on is people who are not part of the church, but were hangers on on the outside, because they're not really walking with the Lord, they're going away because, well, why should I want to be here if they're going to challenge me? It's like, but when you come and you give, when you're a part of the family, when you say, this is what I have to give, and you engage in that, you don't ever leave that because you're invested in that. The only time you leave that after that is if something bad goes on. And listen, you know, if you've been around church for a while, I don't want to paint like a rosy picture. All of us are busted up. Jesus is redeeming all of us. And sometimes we hurt each other's feelings. Isn't it true? But even when you're in family and Jesus is the center, even when someone hurts your feelings, even the way you work that out is meant to be different. Because then you go and say, listen, what you did really hurt me. And normally if someone's really walking with the Lord, they say, I'm so sorry that you were hurt. You work through why it hurt and you understand each other. And then you love each other more because now you've gone through this thing together. And because you've gone through this ordeal together and Jesus is the center, now you walk out the other side. Even if you choose not to agree with all the details, you walk away respecting each other and loving one another because you see Jesus at the work at, in the midst of you guys. So in some ways, when people say, people leaving the church, it's so bad, I'm like, actually, it might not be bad. Now, I say that, I mean, Crossroads has grown by a double-digit percentage for the last five years in a row. As a church ministry, we're growing, but I'm talking about the church at large. Because the thing is, is if you have a consumer mentality... It's like if you go to the same restaurant, how many times you, you go to a restaurant the first time and you're like, this is awesome, right? And you go there the next day and you're like, this is good. But because you ate it yesterday, it's not as novel. Now, if you go there three times a week for a month, after a month, you're like, it's probably time to find a new restaurant. 
Unless you're one of those like ultra committed people who you've always eaten at the same restaurant for three times a week for your whole life and then God bless you. But for the rest of us, we get bored, right? You get bored. But you know what the thing is? If you're the owner of the restaurant, you're always going there, aren't you? See, I think that's the, in business, they talk about the difference between creating owners or creating employees. You can always, if you go into a store, you can always tell who's an employee who's just there to collect the paycheck and who the owner is. Why? Because the owner will stop at nothing to please a customer. And the employee doesn't really care. You know, I went into a place of business just recently and I had such a funny interaction with the person who was working the counter. And after it was over, I'm like, wow, I'm like, they really don't really want the business, do they? (laughs) Because you walk away, you're like, she pretty much said, you know, you coming in is a huge inconvenience. (laughs) And she didn't say it in so many words, but my mama didn't raise no dummy and I can think, you know, (laughs) I have a friend who used to say people are smart. They could do math. Now I knew that the person behind the counter wasn't the owner. You know, but you can always tell. And in the same way, it's like, if your idea of the family of God, you know, I'm a kind of an employee, then you don't really care. But if you're like, this is the family of God, all of a sudden your whole approach to it is different. There's an ownership that's there. And I believe that God wants his people to have high ownership in the things of God and his family because he cares. But you see these if-thens. See, justice is God's language. And everything we truly want, we get. If we walk in the steps that Jesus sets before us. If we simply respond to Jesus. Now, this chapter closes now by moving from the idea of fasting or not eating and instead doing justice to the idea of Sabbath. Which if you think about Sabbath in the realm of fasting... Sabbath is fasting from work, right? It's like you're choosing not to work one day. Look what it says in verse 13. It says, if you turn away your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of the Lord honorable and shall honor him not doing your own ways, nor finding your own pleasure, nor speaking your own words, then you shall delight yourself in the Lord, and I will cause you to ride on the high hills of the earth and feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. So, Again, here's that last if then. If you turn away your foot from the Sabbath from doing your pleasure on my holy day and you call the Sabbath a delight and a holy day to the Lord honorable and you shall honor him not doing your own ways. He's saying, look, the idea of that Sabbath keeping, that one day of week where you set aside the day for the Lord and you trust that God is your provision. See, what would go on is there's all these Sabbath laws that came up because people would take the day off but they make everyone else go work. It's like, so like, I'm trusting God and I'm getting the day off, but you can't have a day off because I really don't trust God. Jesus is real. Pastor Daniel closed out today's message with a challenge. Will you take a day each week and not work, actively trusting God to provide what you need? You can probably relate to the Israelites who really struggled with this. Though they might have rested on the Sabbath, they had their servants do the work for them. Pastor Daniel urged you to fight against your fears and let God prove himself faithful to give you everything you need as you rest in him. 
Hey everyone, there's a lot happening in the world and it can keep you pretty busy. But I want to encourage you to take some time and devote it to your spiritual growth. I know God wants to do something in your life and I'm excited for you to discover exactly what that is. Come join me for a worship service at Crossroads Community Church Online so I can share the Bible with you. Join me online at crossroadschurch.net or find me on Facebook Live. We're so glad we can be a part of your life through the ministry of Jesus is Real Radio. Would you like to be a part of what we're doing? We would like to ask that you prayerfully consider becoming a financial partner of this program. Your contribution, no matter the size, will be used to reach people with the gospel message. Find out more at JesusIsRealRadio.com. Thank you for partnering with us. Join us again here on Jesus Is Real Radio when Pastor Daniel continues listening for the echoes of God's voice in the book of Isaiah. You'll explore what Isaiah says about heaven. The unknowns of the future can be really scary, but you don't have to let that fear handcuff you. The Bible has a lot to say about what to expect and how living with that future in mind changes your present moments in beautifully profound ways. We wish we had more time today, but we will have to pick up where we left off next time as Pastor Daniel continues teaching through this series called Echoes. That's next time on Jesus Is Real Radio.